Old Radio Listening Society, a podcast dedicated to suspense, crime, and horror stories from the golden age of radio. I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. We love mysterious old-time radio stories, but do they stand the test of time? That's what we're here to find out. In December of 2017, we each selected Christmas-themed episodes to listen to, and I chose an adaptation of Charles Dickens' other ghost story, The Signalman. The story doesn't inherently have a Christmas theme, but ghost stories are a bit of a holiday tradition in Britain. 23 years after publishing A Christmas Carol, Dickens published The Signalman in the 1866 Christmas edition of the literary magazine All the Year Round. It was part of an anthology called Mugby Junction, which featured stories about the rail lines that extend from that junction. The story was adapted by several series, including Lights Out, Hall of Fantasy, Columbia Workshop, and Nightfall. The Weird Circle adapted the story under the name The Thing in the Tunnel. Suspense adapted the story for radio three times. The first featured Agnes Moorhead and aired March 23, 1953. It returned in November of 1956, featuring Sarah Churchill, and then again in February of 1959, featuring Ellen Drew. Given how many adaptations of the story exist, I thought it would be fun to make a holiday tradition of listening to a different version each December. Our first year, we listened to the suspense version from 1956 with Sarah Churchill. The year after that, we listened to the Columbia Workshops version from January of 1937. Our third year featured the version presented by Beyond Midnight, and last year we listened to the adaptation from Lights Out. This year, we return to suspense, but this time we'll check out the episode starring Ellen Drew from February of 1959. Ellen Drew was a film actress whose career flourished from the 1930s through the 1940s. She worked constantly, starring opposite such notable stars as Ronald Coleman, William Holden, Basil Rathbone, Dick Powell, Robert Preston, and Vincent Price. With the advent of the 1950s, her career in movies slowed down and she turned her attention to TV roles. Her voice has also been heard in several radio productions. In June of 1943, she co-starred with Agnes Moorhead in an episode of Suspense, Uncle Henry's Rosebush. Ten years afterwards, Moorhead starred in Suspense's early adaptations of Dickens' story, and six years after that, Ellen Drew performed the exact same role. From Suspense's third and final presentation of this script, this is Ellen Drew in The Signalman, first broadcast on February 15, 1959. It's late at night, and a chill has set in. You're alone, and the only light you see is coming from an antique radio. Listen to the sounds coming from the speaker. Listen to the music and listen to the voices. Suspense. And the producer of radio's outstanding theater of thrills, the master of mystery and adventure, William N. Robeson. More often than not, a classic suffers an adaptation from one medium to another. The play you are about to hear is an exception. The late, great writer-director Irving Reese has given a dimension to the story that the late, great Charles Dickens never imagined when he wrote it almost a hundred years ago. We suggest that you might find it interesting to read the Dickens story after listening to this, the Reese dramatization of The Signalman, starring Miss Ellen Drew. 
It had smashed by like a wounded monster screaming in pain and disappeared into the dark tunnel. In those brief seconds, I had relived the emotions of my childhood. I still trembled with the child's terror and fascination that had surged through me the many times I stood here 20 years before. Nothing had changed. The steep, dripping wet walls of jagged stone that led down to the tracks. The gloomy mouth of the tunnel. The small signalman's shack huddled against the side of the cutting. Even the job was held by the same man, they told me in the village. He stood there in the glow of an angry sunset, furling a signal flag around a short pole. I called to him. Hello! Instead of looking up at me, he turned tensely to stare toward a red signal light that glowed at the mouth of the tunnel. Hello, below there. I would like to speak to you. May I come down? He finally looked at me and silently pointed his flag to the path in the embankment. I climbed down quickly and walked toward him with a casual smile. He watched me suspiciously, almost fearfully. Hello. I'm Amy Sayers. I'm sorry if I startled you when I called down. Uh, why would you think that, Miss? Well, you stare at me as though you had a dread of me. Yes, Miss. Uh, I, I was doubtful whether I'd seen you before. Well, if you have, it was when I was eight years old. Standing on that bridge over the tunnel up there. Uh. I used to love watching the trains. Then my family moved to the city, and this is my first visit back in 20 years. Well, you don't believe me. Well, I'm, I'm not certain. But where could you have seen me? Don't you know? I know, since I've been away for 20 well, years. up there, by the red signal light at the mouth of the tunnel. Oh, that's why you turned and stared there when I first called. Yes, miss. Well, what would I be doing at the signal light? Well, I, I don't know. I, I, I wish I, I... No, it's a mistake, miss, uh, what is it you wish to speak to me about? Well, I'm a writer. I wanted to interview you. Me? me? Well, why me, miss? Well, my magazine does a weekly biographical piece on interesting people and unusual occupations. It's called Close-Up. Oh, it's, miss. I, I've read them. Oh, you have? Oh, you seem surprised. <laughs> Pleased, perhaps. Uh, that one so unsophisticated well, as I... Well, I... I didn't really mean it that way. Well, there's a bit of a fire in my shack. It'd be more comfortable for you there. Uh, won't you come on in? Oh, thank you. Oh, how, how snug and comfortable. Yeah, most of my waking life is spent here, and I, I've tried to make it pleasant. My, you have a fine collection of books. Uh, they've given me much companionship in the long nights. Pretty weighty companions. Gibbons, Decline and Fall, Burton's Anatomy of Melancholy, Darwin. Do they surprise you, miss? <laughs> well, I can't help wondering why a man with a mind capable of absorbing these subjects uh, would stay on a desolate job like this. Oh, well, well, why would a pretty lady reporter come here for a story? There are many other places and people. Well, as I told you, I used to come here as a child, and the trains frightened and fascinated me. I always remembered it vividly through the years. I promised myself that one day I would come back and do a story on it. Good subjects aren't easy to find, you know. Why'd you choose just now to come? Oh, these, 
these ideas germinate in the writer's mind for a while, and then an impulse... Are you drawn here? Well, you say that as though mystic forces were involved. Hmm. It was much simpler, I assure you. I've been working hard, and I decided that a few days in the country would do me good. I plan to use them profitably by doing a story on you. Oh, you might have come to that decision last month or last year. Well, that's true. But I can't see why you attach such special... Why does the train frighten you so? Now, wouldn't you think I might outgrow that silly, childish fear? If I was drawn here, as you say, I... I guess it was to see whether I had. The modern psychiatrist would say it was a desire to relive a childhood experience. Oh, yes, mister. Many answers. Philosophers have even speculated on the possibility that the future can intrude on the memory as well as the past. Surely you don't believe that. I believe only in the evidence of my five senses. May I ask, why did you go to the door? To check the tunnel light. Does it need to be checked so often? You you did before we came in. Why are you staring at me like that? Mm -hmm. Oh, was I staring at you? Oh, please. Something is preying on your mind. Can't you tell me? Mm. The fire needs stirring. You're avoiding my question. Oh, you, you let me ask you a question. When the train passed just now, why did you suddenly throw your hands up to your eyes? Like this, as though to shut out some dreadful sight. Why? It was that uncontrollable, childish reaction, like I said. I felt as though the train would draw me out of here and onto the track. I, I covered my eyes like a child not to see it. And you had no feeling that the the action was conveyed to you for some reason? No, why should it? Because there's been someone at the red light at the mouth of the tunnel each night for a week now, holding its hands up to its eyes like you did, as though to shut out some terrible sight. And you have actually seen it? Oh, every night. Was it there just now when you went to the door? Yes, I saw it quite clearly. Who was it? You! moment as the train roared off into the night, leaving only their singing rails to mark its passing. It was a moment of terror, until reason snapped me back to reality. But it's impossible. How can I be sitting here in your signal shack and be outside under the signal light at the same time? I don't know, miss, but that's the way it seems to be. You were standing out there with your left arm across your face and waving your right arm violently as though to say, for God's sake, clear the way, clear the way. 
You heard those words? Well, I'm not, I'm not, not certain, not, not about those specific words, but I, I've heard it called before. When? Oh, one moonlight night about a year ago, I was, I was sitting here when I heard a voice cry, Hello! Below there! Well, that's why you were startled when I used the same words from the top of the bank. Yes, Miss Well, uh, I ran to the door and I looked out and I saw this, this someone else standing up there by the red light near the tunnel, waving its arms as I just showed you. And the voice was hoarse with shouting and it cried, Hello! Below there! Look out! Look out! I, I caught up my lamp and I, I ran towards the figure calling, What's wrong? What's happened? Where? And, and when I got to the light, it was gone. Did you see where? Well, the tunnel was the only place it could go without passing me. Well, I ran into the tunnel for a hundred yards or so and I searched around with my light and then, and then I, I ran back here and I telegraphed both ways. Here's Mr. Telegraph. An alarm has been given... Is anything wrong? It, the answer came back both ways. All was well. Of course, with that wind moaning through the tunnel and the wild harp it makes of the telegraph wires, it's understandable that you could have the illusion you heard a call. And anyone staring at the dark long enough, as you did from the door, could imagine seeing something. You've let it prey on your mind so long it seems real. Uh, I was not finished, miss. I'm sorry. Within six hours after it first appeared, the main line flyer crashed and derailed at the far end of the tunnel. And within ten hours, the dead and the wounded were being brought through the tunnel over to the spot where the figure stood. Coincidence. A tragic, remarkable coincidence. But I well, can't there see... There is more, Miss. Well, please forgive me. Six or seven months passed, and, and I'd recovered from the surprise and the shock when... One morning, just as daylight was breaking, I, I looked toward the red light, and I saw it again. Did it cry out? No, it was silent. And it didn't wave its arm? No, Miss Noah. It leaned against the post with both hands covering the eyes. Like this, as though to blot out some terrible sight. So that's why you asked me why I put my hands to my eyes when the first train passed. Oh, yes, Miss you called out the words it used the first time, and you covered your eyes as it did the second time. Go on, please. Well, that very day, as the train came out of the tunnel, I noticed a confusion of hands and heads at one of the coach platforms and something waving. And I saw it in time to flag down the engineer. He applied his brakes, but the, the train it drifted past here about 100 yards. And as I ran up to it, I heard... It, Terrible screams and cries. Yeah, and a, a beautiful young woman had fallen between the cars and, and, and she was brought in here. Yeah, and she died on this very spot between us. Oh, how horrible. But I still don't well, see one how... One final word, Miss Annie, and you'll judge how my mind is troubled. It came back a week ago and ever since it's been there. At the light? Yes, it, it covers its eyes waves its arm, and it, and, it, and it shouts, for God's sake, clear the way, clear the way. I, I've no rest or peace for it. It, it. it calls to me many minutes together in an agonized manner. Below there, look out, look out. It stands waving at me, and it sounds the telegraph ticker. Has it sounded the ticker since I've been here? Twice. I assure you it's your imagination. 
There has been no sound of the telegraph. Oh, I don't wonder that you failed to hear it, but, but I heard it. Do you hear it now? Yes. What is it saying? Well, it, it isn't clear. It only warns. It, it doesn't say against what. If I only knew, I could warn him. But it doesn't say. What is the danger? Where? There is danger somewhere on the line. Some terrible calamity will happen tonight, and I can do nothing about it. Nothing. It was obvious that this poor, tortured signalman was the victim of hallucinations and delusions. The loneliness of his post and the tedium of his duties were certainly enough to derange anyone. But certainly a man of his intelligence could be convinced that it was only his mind playing tricks on him. Well, how can you say that in the face of what I just told you? Listen, you were positive when you first saw me that I was the... The specter you saw at the light, weren't you? Well, you used the same Well, word. now listen carefully. I appeal to the intelligent, well-read, reasonable man. Mm -hmm. Three words. Hello, below there. I was more than a hundred feet away at the top of the embankment, and you were here below with darkness falling, and three words made you positive you had seen me before. Can't you see... You were trying to fit something to what you already believed. But then you put your hands to your eyes. Further like... proof. You have allowed yourself to believe some disaster is about to befall. When I covered my eyes because of a childish fear, you fitted that to what you already believed. Well, the telegraph ticket was... You must hear me out. Would you at any other time or would anyone at any time believe that a telegraph ticker could sound in a room this small and be heard by one person and not another? But I told... And now the most important proof. You said that when you went to the door a while ago, it was there by the red danger light. Yes, it was. Will you come to the door with me now and tell me if it is still there? Yeah. Well, do you see it? No. No, no, miss. It ain't there. Of course it isn't. And now I'm going to prove that it never was there. The post is at least seven feet high. The light is shielded with a hood. Even if a person stood directly under it or, or in front of it, they would be in complete shadow in darkness. You couldn't see that person from this door, and you couldn't see that person if you walked to within a few yards of her or, or him or it. I'm going to walk up the incline to the light and prove it to you. I walked up the inclining tracks toward the red light at the mouth of the tunnel. The chill, dank wind had an edge like a cold knife. When I got to the light post, I stood directly under it. No portion of the red glow reached me. I was lost completely in the dark. I saw the signalman silhouetted in the yellow light of the doorway. Hello? Can you see me? Hello, below there. Can you see me? Oh. Good. Now start walking toward me and tell me when you can see me. He stepped between the rails of the northbound track. 
on the line with the red signal light and walked toward me. Then suddenly, the icy hand of my childhood dread gripped me. There was a vague vibration of the earth and air. Far behind him, down the grade, I could see the glow of the locomotive's light. Look out! Look out! For God's sake, clear the way! Clear the way! He walked as though in a spell. He didn't hear me or, or wouldn't hear me. I was rooted to the gravel. I threw my left arm up to my eyes and waved my right arm frantically. Below there! Look out! Look out! Clear the way! For God's sake, clear the way! Long after it was over, they found me, still standing there, both of my hands up to my eyes to shut out the terrible sight. Suspense, in which Ellen Drew starred in William N. Robeson's production of The Signalman by Charles Dickens. Adapted for radio by Irving Reese. The Signalman was played by Ben Wright. Sound patterns by Bill James and Tom Hanley. Listen. Listen again next week when we return with Miss Marie Wilson in Star Over Hong Kong. Another tale well calculated to keep you in... Suspense. Following the news, listen for Have Gun, Will Travel on CBS Radio. That was The Signalman from Suspense here on the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast. Once again, I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. And that is this year's Signalman, the the yearly tradition set forth by accident by Tim. (laughs) I'm going to tell you right now, this is the worst of all of them. This is my least favorite of all the ones we've listened to so far. Uh, since 2017. And Sarah Churchill's version is still my favorite. Nothing has come close to that for me, that and first one. And the weird thing is this is very close script-wise. Mm-hmm. It's the same script with some really bad edits and some poor choices added from the Churchill version. I have not heard the Agnes Moorhead version yet. but I have, no. I have not either. But... They're both credited to Irving Reese, who uh, mm-hmm. died right before the original Agnes Moorhead version. Uh, no, right after the original mm-hmm. Agnes Moorhead version was aired. So they must have felt free to start <laughs> tweaking his script. It's 10 minutes shorter. Yeah. I will tell you exactly what I don't like about it, and here we go. Alan Drew. Alan Drew. I did not enjoy that performance at all. It was... Formal, stagey. Yeah. Cold. Yeah, thank you. Those are the words. I was agitated by her. (laughs) I will be honest, I was so happy to hear this episode, because every year when we do this, I go back and listen to not only the other episodes that we have done in the past, but also our conversation. So after listening to four years of us take this story apart. We're not very critical. We've really enjoyed most of the other versions, but to just find like, ah, this one's just bad. 
That's right. all we have to talk about. <laughs> right. Good. Yes. I thought you guys were going to get mad at me. <laughs> no. no. I think it's also interesting because you can really see the decline in suspense from 53 yes. to 59. It's yep. kind of like a, visiting your grandparents and suddenly you're like, whoa, it is the last Christmas they seemed a lot better than 53 this. is Moorhead. 56 was Churchill who... Oh, I'm sorry, 56. Yeah, so in a very small amount of time. Yeah, Yeah, and then 59 was this, and then three years after that, suspense was done. My point being, between 56 and 59, it's not just Ellen Drew. It is rife with poor directing choices. The production values have just dropped terribly. Last year, we, we listened to Lights Out, and you and I were really like, this is the best one we've heard all told, like in totality. Right. I forgot about the lights. I did like the Sarah Churchill one a lot. But yeah, but like, yeah, I think the Sarah Churchill performance and who were playing the single man himself in that was mm. the highlight of everything we've heard is those performances. Right. And if I had not heard those, would I be so judgy about this one? Yeah, probably. Well, she's just so unlikable. Well, everything the she's doing. The on, on her having this subtext that she's likable. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't work if there's no vulnerability on her part. Right. She's... Mean. Well, <laughs> I listened to this and had this moment where I was like, was I just totally wrong about the Churchill version that I remember being my favorite? Right. Um, because it's close enough yeah. mm-hmm. to that version that I just assumed I have developed different tastes in radio since we listened to it. So I went back and re-listened to compare the two. Also, because they're so close, I needed to be refreshed. And so it was a real relief to go, no. <laughs> right. it, was, it was really enlightening. I'm actually really glad, like Tim said, to listen to this, of, of what those differences are between most of suspense in these final years. And it is far more canned. It feels slapped together. Yep. Uh, the Churchill version had really textured sound. They were probably mm-hmm. using recordings, but there was a lot of care yep. how one sound bled into the other. And here, there are literal cuts where it sounds like someone just took the needle off the record and put the next one on. There's, they're not even blended. Yep. Mm. You just made me realize what's wrong with this. There's no suspense. She just comes in and goes, okay, you're a crazy person, and here, let me prove it to you, and I'm going to prove it to you, and here, okay, that, 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 matter of fact, matter of fact, oh, no, I was wrong. Okay, there's no suspense to that. The Churchill version, the Lights Out version, these other versions, you get this gloom and doom and this feeling of, of, of horror and suspense that is over it. And it has a lot to do with production value, mm-hmm. you know, like just what you're saying, music and sound effects and all of that. And not the least of which is a performance that caters to that. It just seemed like, here's what it was. This is stupid. You're all <laughs> stupid. That's not what's, oh my God, that's how she came across yeah. the entire time. Yeah, her performance is an issue in that way, but also because of the cuts I have some questions about why it was cut down to 20 minutes, but um, some of the cuts were small but significant character-building moments. Uh, Listening to them back-to-back, one of the things this version cuts is the sort of establishment of the relationship between the signalman and the narrator. Like, they work it out in the Mm -hmm. Churchill one. Particularly what jumped out at me is there's an exchange in the Churchill version uh, where the narrator comments on her 
surprise at the books he's reading, that there's really challenging material for a signalman, and then catches herself and kind of tries to back off those comments. And he goes, no, that's okay. You said you want to be frank. And so there's a scene where they're negotiating their relationship and they're building comfort and some sort of security with each other. And that really helps progress the story. And it leads to what Eric was just describing of it just seems like there's no relationship here at all. She just comes in and says, you're crazy. You can't read those books. There's no ghosts. Right. And then on the flip side, this version adds this weird, I think in an attempt to be clarifying or to compensate for the cuts, um, but where the signalman says, I saw you to the protagonist. I saw you outside. And that is not in the Churchill version where he says, mm-hmm. it's you. Right. Which I, it's hard to back up and think about how I would hear this if I'd never heard the Churchill one. But to me, I feel like that kind of kills the ending. It yes. tells you that yeah. the end, it's going to be her seeing him. But at the beginning of this, the announcer says, you're going to love this. I'm a paraphrasing. You're going to love our take on it. This is a whole, you know, like he builds up. We're doing something really unique with this version of the signalman this time. Yeah. I was That's, trying to think of like, is that introduction just part of the script that they just kept doing that? It is. Because when okay. I went back and listened to the church, oh, that same thing. Oh, they said there. the same thing. Cause yeah. I didn't know that. And so as I was listening, it was like, well, what did they do? That was so crazy different. And I glommed on to that. Glom- is that a word? I, I keep yeah, using sure. that word. And I, every time I say it, I go, I should look that up. Glom. Glom. It's Danish. It's, uh, it means comforting. <laughs> go back <laughs> to two weeks. To Danish. <laughs> go back two weeks, everybody, and listen to that discussion and then laugh <laughs> and laugh. Um, but I, I got attached to that moment where he said, that was you. It was you. And I went, oh, that's what's unique about this. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, oh, yeah. is that the big thing that they were talking yeah. about? Really dumb idea to have him do that because yeah. it takes away everything that's the premise of this is finding out at the end that mm-hmm. it's her <laughs> well this adaptation it's much more about discovering who the signal man is mm-hmm. than it is about discovering that there's going to be a train accident and this cuts out as we're saying all the parts where you discover who he is like i mean not only does the script not help that but also the performance here of him is much more just middle of the road i'm mm-hmm. just kind of defensive as opposed to in the Churchill version, that actor was so tentative and... Mysterious. Yes, mysterious. Um, mm-hmm. This guy comes across as a bumbler. Yeah. It's not there anymore. I guess I'm dumb. Thanks for pointing out how dumb I am, lady. <laughs> it feels like suspense has lost faith in the audience as well. And I don't, maybe it's just they don't have the time or money and it comes off as a, a lack of faith. But they try to clarify so much and they they seem to not want any mystery. I think the most egregious example of that in this is the addition in the Drew version of this horror movie scream that she does when the train passes. It's one of the the beautiful moments from the Churchill version is, uh, you know, the train builds up in volume as it gets closer and closer and screams pass. They have to cut off the conversation. The train passes and then the signalman just says, You're afraid of them, aren't you? And so in this moment, you realize he saw something in her face, in her body language that told him that there was something wrong. And so it's a great example of uh, the power of audio drama where it seems counterintuitive that hearing this character see something is more powerful than hearing a blood-curdling scream. But they had already established that she was afraid so that we know that she's afraid. So when we see her in our minds watch a train go by, it makes sense that we would see her being afraid of it. Yeah, You're absolutely right. It's the trust the audience and and write it that way so that they 
can see, we want an audio theater to see for ourselves in our own head. Because if you'd never heard this before, when she screams and you didn't know what was happening, you'd say, so the train just killed the guy <laughs> yeah, and took him out and went through the shack? Is that what just happened? Or what's going on? It, it's nonsensical. And, and no one screams like that and then just picks up the conversation in a normal way. Too, right. right. Like that's an emotional scream. She should still be kind of hyperventilating or something too. It, it just seems like it was just plunked mm-hmm. in there. I bet that wasn't even her. It feels like it, they dropped mm-hmm. a screaming sound effect in there. Yep. The other thing I loved about this... <laughs> Um, We're being brutal. Sorry. No, this is, again, a backhanded compliment. I am so glad in the discussion of the first one, I was talking about how I chose this and like mentioned to Joshua, hey, I've decided we're going to do an episode of The Signal Man from Suspense. And he said, which one? I, I didn't know there was more than one. I just randomly picked one. I'm so glad I didn't pick this one. Right, right. Yeah. I would have had no interest in listening to seven more versions of it. Plus, it was more the, the Churchill one's more interesting just from this fact that it's Sarah Churchill, yes, the niece of uh, Winston, right? Wasn't think, she the yep, niece? Uh, yeah, related in some way. Yes, so, yep. third cousin, twice She's removed, like, popped out of his knee like Zeus's <laughs> children. She's actually Winston Churchill in disguise, <laughs> right? Yes. So, do you know why it was cut down to twenty minutes? Is this because it's later I radio? Can't imagine. I'm guessing that there was more commercials, commercials. by 1959. Correct. And, and they didn't have a sponsor that they were built into the show. They had to leave room for local mm. ads. Being someone that has sold a lot of media advertising, one thing you can do is volume and get a lot more people on board for cheaper prices. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can say, "Oh, it's only this amount. Oh, that's really cheap." So I'm going to buy an ad, and then everybody buys an ad. Now you have 700 ads to make the same amount of money that a national sponsor would right. pay you for their one uh, live endorsement. So uh, my guess is advertising. And if you notice in the edits in this how many breaks there are, mm-hmm. there's four. There's wow. four moments where the music goes out completely and it goes silent. And then it comes back in. Those are commercial breaks. And maybe that's where I heard these mm. rough cuts yes. that jumped out to me. That they could were, very well uh, be. breaks for advertisers. Yeah. There's also rough cuts in here that aren't commercial <laughs> breaks. There's also bad editing. But yes, those are advertising breaks. Uh, but at one point, I worked at a radio station that was selling advertising so cheap that we were running, that we were running 36 minutes an hour of commercials. <sighs> wow. <laughs> yep. We had to put our foot down and say, what are you doing? Here's the weather. Back after this. Here's, it was like every yeah. single thing you said had a break. <laughs> Tomorrow it'll be, now some ads. Right? <laughs> Sunny, now some more ads. <laughs> um, on Ellen Drew, I was looking up her list of films, and she did a ton of movies. Uh, the Wikipedia page said like six a year sometimes. Wow. wow. But I just didn't recognize any of the titles. Um <laughs> Which I'm medium level old film fan, so I, I feel like I would recognize sure. better known title, but maybe a higher level film fan would say, no, this one's very good. And like I said, there was a bunch of leading men she worked with who had a lot of name recognition, but it was just dozens and dozens of movies I did not recognize that I. I will be honest with you, I, Ellen Drew, nothing pops into my head. Nope. Can you name one? What is she famous for? What is she known for? 
this. <laughs> Being in other famous people's least successful films, yeah. clearly, yeah, or else we would know of her, even right. if it was like a one-hit wonder where she was in that one-hit film. Mm-hmm. When she switched to TV, she was an episode of Perry Mason, so you might have seen her in an episode of Perry Mason. Oh, well, there's a really good chance <laughs> that I've seen her in Perry Mason. Yeah, I'm looking at the list right now. These are all Midland nothing movies. Yeah, which I hate to look at a successful actor and poop on their career, but like, and maybe she was great in these movies we've never heard True. of. Yes, I think film and oh, radio she, is very different. She was in Johnny O'Clock, which is a great film noir. <laughs> I'm serious; it's that bad. And Isle of the Dead with Karloff. Yeah, that's where I've seen her. Yep, Christmas in July. Yeah, that's. I hate that movie. (laughs) (laughs) But she does play Susan Webster in The Monster and the Girl. Susan Webster would be the girl? (laughs) No, no, no. The Monster, Susan Webster. Oh. (laughs) The girl is just the girl. Well, any other thoughts on this other than boo? (laughs) I think we should just vote. Get out of the way. I hate it. I hate it. It's so much... To hate about it, and uh, there's nothing I like about it at all. Merry Christmas! <laughs> yeah, it, it's. I would not say this is worth revisiting. I'm glad we got to listen to the one of these adaptations that is a clunker. Um, we still have the Agnes Moorhead adaptation, Weird Circle, and Nightfall to come, and I'd be surprised if any of those were as disappointing as this. I cannot wait for Nightfall. <laughs> uh, Weird wait. Circle can be quite disappointing. Yeah. So uh, I have faith that we could be more disappointed, fellas. Nightfall, <laughs> the music alone is going to be phenomenal with the signal. Here comes the train. Well, for my vote, I'm going to echo everything you guys said. It's not a classic. But here's the deal. I feel like if you are a listener who just jumped into this podcast right now and haven't gone back and listened to the other versions of A Signalman and you are not familiar with the Dickens story, we did probably shortchange you in that you might listen to this and enjoy elements that are from Dickens' original ghost story. Yes. And we mm-hmm. glossed over the actual story because we've discussed it over and over again. Right, right. Uh, so if this is your first time listening to this and you're like guys you're a little hard on it uh i really like the ghost story go back and listen to some other productions we um, do too we yes. love the story itself a yes. lot dickens right. story stands the test of time yes mugby junction right know yep. what it's called the anthology the yeah. story is called the signalman we've been doing it for <sighs> five years shut up <laughs> no, mugby is the name of the signalman yeah yep. <laughs> No, Mugby was the name of the dog in uh, Wacky Races. Oh, Mutley. Oh, I didn't even get that right. Tim, stop telling me stuff. (laughs) (laughs) All right, tell him stuff. Hey, please go visit ghoulishdelights.com, home of this podcast. You'll find other episodes there for at least four other versions of The Signal Man. Um, And you can leave comments. You can vote in polls. Let us know what you thought. You can send us messages. You can link to our social media pages. On Facebook, we have a group where we talk about stuff on Facebook, um, like you do on Facebook. And you can link to our uh, Threadless store and buy T-shirts and whatnot. Buy yourself a whatnot. And you can uh, link to our Patreon page. Now we have to put whatnots on the Threadless store. Please? I want to know what they are. Uh, yes, go to patreon.com slash the morals and support.
support this podcast. We greatly appreciate it. We have all sorts of exciting benefits, bonus podcasts. We have our monthly Zoom happy hours. We also do a mysterious old book club that I host. Not Eric. I know that's a surprise to you all, but Eric does not host the book club. Uh, no, I don't even show up for it. <laughs> we show. have all sorts of great benefits, so please um, support us. I stand on the hill and yell, hello down there for the book club. <laughs> if you'd like to see us perform our theatricals, uh, uh, we do recreations. Oh, of, my theatricals. <laughs> <laughs> we do recreations and adaptations of classic old-time radio drama live on stage. And we also do our own original audio theater and a lot of original stuff. So uh, to find out where we're performing and what we're performing and when we're performing, go to ghoulishdelights.com or mysteriousoldradiolisteningsociety.com and that's where you can purchase tickets to see us live performing or you can buy tickets to watch us online. What do we have coming up next? Next, we have a listener request. We will be visiting Lights Out for an episode called The Sub-Basement. Until then... You were standing out there with your left arm across your face and waving your right arm violently as though to say, for God's sake, clear the way. Clear the way. This is stupid. You're all (laughs) stupid. That's not what's... Oh, my God.